0: Got to be careful when they have a microscope that powerful. You give them a reason to look, they'll look until they find something. I think they're finding that out in Ann Arbor, Michigan tonight. We jam-packed high atop a bountiful, beautiful downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's Thursday. It's October 19th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We jam-packed. Got a lot of things to talk about tonight that I didn't know we were going to be talking about, honestly. Uh, Michigan and the NCAA Part 17. We've gone more than 15 rounds, it feels like, in this matchup now. Uh, it's, it's By the way, it's been by far the toughest opponent on Michigan's schedule this year, as it turns out. I'm going to talk about it. If you don't know what I'm referencing, don't worry. The story broke earlier today. I've got it right here in my hand, immunity. Uh, upsets could be lurking around many a corner in college football this weekend, and I am not going to let us be caught off guard. We will not be taken by surprise. I've got sleeper contenders lurking out there lurking is the name of the show tonight It's a lurk lurk special because there are some teams out there that are very much alive in some races that have been long since written off not just LSU LSU is the most famous example I think right now but there are some teams out there that are really in it that I don't think anyone knows about maybe not even half of their fan bases in a rare move I'm opening up the mailbag tonight we got some late kick Q&A, got a couple of questions I want to get to, and I've got best bets to add as well. We are jam-packed, cannot wait. Lynn, Massachusetts is tuned in. Boulder, Colorado, Anniston, Alabama, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I have uh, probably gotten about 45 minutes of sleep over the past two days. We were in New York City last night doing inside college football. Uh, Bradley, the associate, was kind enough to scrap, cobble together some B-roll, um, I know I have trust to earn back. I know that I look like I am applying for a loan here. If you're listening on podcast, I just assume you not see the video. But for those of you who are seeing the video, yeah, I am, I'm wearing some things that you don't normally see me wear there. Kept the white shoes, though. And I just wanted you to rest assured, white t-shirt is back. No, this is not the look that we're shifting to on late kick, but it was good to work with Brent Stover, Coach New Heisel, Brian Jones, and the guys up there. Really, really first-class operation. will do it again. Would visit again, if they'll have me, of course. And I appreciate A lot of you guys shared that and tuned in, so I appreciate that. All right, here we go. I didn't think I was leading the show off tonight by having to scan a statement from Jim Harbaugh. Then again, I didn't think I was going to lead the show talking about Michigan, period. They're playing Michigan State. They should splatter them this weekend. And yet here we are, breaking news earlier today, courtesy of Dan Wetzel. Ross Dellinger and the folks. I never want Pate State coming out of the mouth of Dan Wetzel or Ross Dellinger. Great guys, love those dudes, but it's only a bad thing when they start talking about your program. So here we are, sun comes up on Thursday, and by lunchtime, we got another NCAA investigation going on. And what is the NCAA investigation this time? I'm not going to read all this for you, but if if you were busy living your life today, if you're just at work or at the park with the kids the audacity to do that in football season. But nevertheless, your constitutional right to do so. If you were living your life, you don't know. I'm going to let you know. The NCAA, according to Wetzel and Dellinger and the boys, uh, is investigating Michigan football for allegedly, if you haven't heard the story already, what did you what do you think they did? Allegedly violating rules that prohibit teams from scouting in person future opponents. It sounds like they were sending some, some black ops kind of reps to stadiums to scout and steal signals. Really, we're talking about sign stealing here. It's been done in baseball. It's been done in football. It's not technically illegal. It is, however, illegal to be sending folks to stadiums where your future opponents are playing and doing this sort of thing. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, I do want to represent both sides here. Jim Harbaugh released a statement today. Quote, I did it. Nah, I'm just kidding. His statement says, I want to make it clear. I, my staff, we will fully cooperate with the investigation. He says he has no knowledge. I do not condone or tolerate anyone doing anything illegal or against the NCAA rules. Uh, pursuant to NCAA rules, I will not be commenting further. So he flat out denied it. And here we are. Uh, do I think they did it? I have no firsthand knowledge they did. But I do have a, I got an eye josh full of folks who texted me today and in a couple of cases called from many Big Ten programs. And um, this was not a shock that this came out because it's been talked about in Big Ten circles for a little while. Honestly, I was not shocked when this story came out because I've heard about it before. So I hear a lot of things. A lot of it's BS. So I assumed maybe this was BS. And for, for the record, I still don't know if it's true. Do I think there's some truth to it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Only because I had heard it independently from different sources up in the Big Ten before this. Now, Josh, if you had heard it, why didn't you report it? Uh, Because I had no facts to go on and I am not exactly the investigative reporter that these dudes are. So there are a lot of folks who had heard whispers and rumblings about this. You hear whispers and rumblings about a lot of programs too. So I I don't know. We'll we'll see how this turns out. I will say it wasn't a surprise. I had staffers from several, I'm just going to leave it at that, several different programs who hit me up and basically said, see, what'd we tell you? or told you so, or yeah, now that this is out there, we've suspected this, or we've had knowledge of this as well. So that was flying around the Big Ten today. How did this strike me, though? When I saw this story released, I looked at it and I said, that seems awful familiar. And it's not that I've ever run a program. Well, I run a fictitious one, of course, and, and we do things by the book at Pate State. We, we run, in the words of Ron Meyer, circa SMU, we run basically an honest program. But the NCAA has got some real small town sheriff vibes towards Michigan right now. And if you grew up in the rural South like I did, you know how this works. You've been around the local sheriff that is in office for a couple of decades, accumulates way too much power, more so than any local law enforcement official supposed to have. And, you know, like you go to the local property seizure auction and you outbid the sheriff on a piece of property he wants and he, he grabs the belt, pulls it up and says, hmm, spits his dip out. All right, then. And you know what all right then means. And when Jim Harbaugh has spoken out publicly about the NCAA, the NCAA was basically the sheriff up there at the Chevron, and you pass him in line, and he looks you up and down, takes his sunglasses off, which he shouldn't have been wearing indoors to begin with, and says, all right, I'll see you down the road. And all of a sudden, this happens. There was a study done once upon a time that showed the average person, just the average American citizen, commits multiple felonies per week. Most of them you don't even realize you're doing. And certainly many, many a misdemeanor is involuntarily committed every week. So everyone commits crimes. In sports, everyone violates a rule here or there. It's just that 99% of them you're never going to hear about because they don't get discovered, because there is no governing body ultimately motivated to discover them. But when you motivate a governing body, whether it be the NCAA in this case, or in more real-world consequential arenas like the IRS, when you motivate them, they have way too much power. And they have endless resources. And if they want to find something on you, they won't stop until they find something on you. And so Michigan is finding out what it's like to be turned inside out every which way but Sunday. I'm not sitting here carrying water for them telling you they didn't do this. Maybe they, maybe they did. I'm just suggesting, you know, like... I. Yeah, I'll tell you this story. I was at the Cotton Bowl for OU Texas two weeks ago. And if you've been at the Cotton Bowl, you know there's this, there's this thing that exists in there. They're called crickets. And by the tens of thousands, you see crickets all over the stadium. Now, that's just raw college football to me. Every, every place has its idiosyncrasy. Just so happens that the Cotton Bowl is infested with crickets. I love it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Well, on the field, they have these things called press corrals. And that's the, the little triangular-looking thing. Sometimes players get tackled into them, and they fold up really quick. And they usually have advertising written on them. Well, those are press corrals. They're meant to tell you, stand behind these so you don't get trucked. Some folks get trucked anyway. Your own Sarah McLaughlin special as a spectator, if you will. The point is, after the game, when you pull those press corrals up, they have provided shade for like five hours for anything that's looking for shade. And there are hundreds of crickets under those things. And Gelby and Coach Quinn found that out the tough way a couple of weeks ago. And one of them got in my shirt, and I handled it like a champ. I did my live shot, and then I I very, very calmly said, there's something in my shirt, please get it out. And they got it out. Um, One of them was not as calm as I was. And her name will not make its way onto the airwaves tonight. But with Michigan you're looking at this from the outside and you're saying, oh man, I bet they did that. Or maybe if you're a Michigan fan, you're saying, wow, why were they even looking for this to begin with? Did someone narc us out or are they just, are they just looking up and down every which way until they finally find something? Uh, probably both would be my inclination, probably both. But when you turn over every stone, kind of like the press corrals, that's the point I was making at the Cotton Bowl, you turn those things over, you find something you otherwise wouldn't have found if you're motivated to turn over every rock, you'll eventually find something. And the NCAA feels like they're doing just that now. Now I'll tell you my second thought. And this was the one that I I think I probably got the most frequently today as the day went on. And that was, a lot of folks think Jim Harbaugh uh, will not be around there to incur whatever wrath comes down upon the program. A a lot of folks think nothing's going to happen, first off. I have no clue if anything's going to happen. But if something does happen, look, Harbaugh's flirted with the NFL every year, so I mean it wouldn't be a surprise in and of itself if he did that again as well. I, look, whether he does, whether he goes, whether he stays, we'll talk about that. We'll cross that bridge when it comes time to cross that bridge. What I really hope is, let's just say this happened for the sake of argument. Uh, who pays the price here? Like, what kind of what kind of punitive structure does the NCAA claim to have in place? What do you do? Do you strip them of scholarships? Do you? Do you shave a bowl game off? If there is any player, I don't use the term student athlete anymore. It's very lame. Management actually had a conversation with me about that, and he was right. Uh, Student athlete's a very stupid term. So if there's any player at Michigan that actually has to suffer one iota because of this, that's insanity. That's like Tez Walker level insanity. So that's what I'll have my eye on. Now, The other thing is distraction It didn't happen the first time. Remember Harbaugh served a suspension. The first few games of the season didn't matter, and the reason, are, well, the reasons are called East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. That's why it really didn't matter. Well, coming up, you got Michigan State by Purdue, and then at Penn State, and finally we get to see quality competition against Michigan. Look, I think that two things can be true here: there could be a lot of validity. Michigan could absolutely be guilty of this, but also it could have been found because there was motivation on the part of NCAA officials to try and find something. And knowing those folks like I know I do, it would actually surprise me if they weren't doing a thorough audit-style analysis of the program and trying to find something because all they have is their pride. That's all they really have at this point. They They don't have a fraction of the power they used to have. They don't have a fraction of the sway they used to have. But they've got that pride behind those four letters. And so you speak ill of those four letters like Jim Harbaugh, among other coaches, have done accurately, might I add, they're going to come for you. And, and whatever, whatever fraction of power they have left, it's all going to be wielded against you. That's what's going on right now. We'll be in Columbus, Ohio, on a related note. We'll be in Big Ten country this Saturday. In fact, I'm flying up to Columbus tomorrow. Oh, shocking. Another day on a plane. I wouldn't have it any other way. I am not complaining. Trust me. The Once Upon a Saturday tour is headed to Penn State versus Ohio State. You know what it's like to be on the sideline for these games? Mm, Amazing, amazing, amazing. And big noon kickoff at that? I'll probably get a text before the show goes off from management saying, please stop promoting other networks. But man, I love big noon kickoff so much. And it's not just because I get to see Brady Quinn in person. What a treat and a blessing that always is. But we do get to fly home at six o'clock, Saturday night as well. That's a little added bonus. The Once Upon a Saturday Tour t-shirt for this week, I have it on good authority, is about 30 or 40 units away from setting a very, very lofty benchmark. And so Ohio State folks especially, hey, they put us in the hype video. I strongly encourage you to check out the Ohio State hype video that the boys up there just put out about an hour or two ago. Happy to work with them on that. I'm very cooperative, like Bradley and and sometimes Jesse claims that I'm not. Colin knows the real me. I'm very cooperative. I'm, I'm happy to cooperate. And we did with Ohio State this week. The Once Upon a Saturday Short is available at paitestatematerial.com. We look forward to seeing all of our friends on both coaching staffs. Know a bunch of folks on both these staffs, bunch of folks in both these programs. Looking forward to being up there this Saturday. Okay, that would not be where an upset happens. Because to me, if Penn State wins that game, it's not an upset. Jesse picked them outright. The spread's, what, what, Jesse, four and a half right now? Four and a half or three and a half right now? So very tight spread. And if you shave home field out of that, the equivalent on a neutral field would be Ohio State favored by less than, a, less than a field goal. So it's pretty much a pick 'em game on a neutral field. Ohio Stadium will not be neutral this Saturday, mind you. But let's push that one to the side. And if you want our preview and prediction on that game, it's on the YouTube channel right now. Wait for the live show to end, please. Where are the upsets coming this weekend? I got a sneaking suspicion that Penn State, Ohio State, marquee, main event treatment, ditto for Tennessee, Alabama. But, you know, Dukes play in Florida State this Saturday. I think you know that. You should know that if you don't already. What is the upset alert meter set at? With Florida State favored by 14 and a half, I got this one sitting at a six. I have a little nervousness about this. Riley Leonard, the quarterback for Duke, is expected to play. It sounds very encouraging if you listen to Mike Elko up there. So what do we have? We got a quarterback returning. We got Duke with a top 10 passing defense. And FSU, sometimes these stat profiles can be misleading. So I will grant you that before these words ever come out of my mouth. But Florida State has the 37th rated passing game when it just comes down to yards per game. That is a metric that needs to be Contextualized, I know that, but just to give you an idea of where they stack up: thirty seventh in pass yards per game, forty fifth in rush yards per game. It is a it's an offense that has explosive tendencies, but consistently hasn't been top ten all year. Um, certainly has that ceiling though. Is Duke the kind of team? Is a Mike Elko team, a coach that has yet to lose a game by more than one possession in his entire career at Duke, which is now in its second season. Is that the kind of team that you just dispose of? Also, this year, Duke, opponents' points per game, 7-7, 14-7, 21, that's what Notre Dame scored, and three. One little caveat also, uh, Florida State, hold on, let me post-it pop there, with Riley Leonard coming back, who can run the ball really well, Uh, Florida State 71st in the country in run defense. I think they could keep this very close. I think Florida State's going to win the game. I'm not picking the upset which is going to suck if Duke wins. We're just shaving that right out of the show if they win. But I'm going to put a six on this. I think it bears close watching. Next up, let's head to Lee County, Alabama. It is the only university in which I refer to the county it is parked in. That is Auburn in Lee County, Alabama. Ole Miss, minus six and a half. Beautiful B-roll. Who in the world found the the Sunrise B-roll there? Was that Bradley? Bradley's done good work today. Um, I'm putting an eight on this. I have concerns. Telling you, I have concerns. But Josh, didn't Ole Miss, didn't Ole Miss? Well, not Ole Miss. Didn't Auburn just get blown out by LSU? Yes, friends, that's why I have concerns. Have we forgotten the last time Auburn came home in wounded animal mode? Have we forgotten the Texas A&M debacle, followed closely thereafter by taking Georgia to the absolute limit? Well, they went down to LSU and they got splattered and they licked their wounds. They come back home. It's a night game at Jordan Hare Stadium. It's Hugh Freeze versus Ole Miss. This is a pretty big deal. There are a lot of folks aside from Hugh Freeze in that building down there in Auburn, Alabama that have a lot of ties to that Ole Miss program that would love to put one on him here. And you're a six and a half point home dog in the process. Ole Miss is 48th in the country in run defense. I think Auburn can hang. This is contrary to what LSU showed you. This is not a defense that it's easy to just put away. And so I think there'll be an inspired performance Saturday. I'm putting an eight on this one. I have concerns. Now, you should know the JP poll is slightly lower on Ole Miss than the AP poll is. I think we're 19th or 20th, somewhere around there. Now, I know that sounds like a big gap between 13 and 20. In reality, it's like two points, so it's not a big gap at all. It just looks that way on a graphic. Next up, this one's off everyone's radar. You know, uh, you know who Oklahoma plays Saturday? Anyone? As I stretch because my shoulders are sore. They play Central Florida this Saturday. Central Florida is facing Oklahoma. Oklahoma coming off a bye. Oklahoma's favored by 17 and a half. In fact, both of them are off-bys. So let that be of record. John Reese Plumley looks like he's playing this week. He's been out for a number of weeks. That's the UCF quarterback. Um, looking, I, I, look, I don't know what to expect. When quarterbacks first come back from injury, I never know what to expect. Leonard at Duke, uh, John Reese Plumley here. With UCF, but he's averaging 276 through the air and about 81 on the ground when he plays this year when he's healthy. And I always, I always am very curious how teams come out of bye weeks. Some teams are shot out of a cannon coming out of a bye week. Some of them are a little sluggish coming out of a bye week. So it's only a four on the upset alert meter. I expect Oklahoma to eventually take care of business, but it's another game. I just want to keep an eye on it. Now, Now Oklahoma has been the kind of team that just pulls away. This year, so they could be up 35 to three at halftime, and we just yawn and say, "Oh, boomer sooner next up." So, I also know Gus Malzahn has it somewhere deep down inside himself to pull off one shocker per year. Let's keep an eye on that one. Uh, Tennessee at Bama is a game we've already broken down. The video is on the YouTube channel. I think I'm going to put an upset alert setting of eight on this one because Bama can't pull away. Bama can't put teams away, and well, they haven't. Let me rephrase: They haven't really put teams away. Looked like they were going to last week. Nope, three-point game. A lot of what-ifs here. What if Tennessee runs the ball as effectively as they did against a and What if the shot play, what if the deep explosive pass play is not there for Alabama? If it's not there, they're, they're stalling offensively. And Tennessee has a lot to say about that because they're really good defensively too. What if Joe Milton on abandoned plays, scramble runs, extended plays, Hits a couple of those deep shots himself. Well, all of that can happen, and it could very well lead to an upset win for Tennessee. Now, I picked Alabama in this game. My gut was to take Bama to cover. The model said otherwise, so I'm not betting it. I took Tennessee to cover, Bama to win. I think it's going to be a close game. And because of that, yeah, there's an upset alert potential here. I'm going to put an eight on it. Utah at USC, same thing. I'm putting an eight on this one. The video breakdown for this game is on the YouTube channel as well, but I did want to just make a point to emphatically say, I get the sense a lot of people just expect a bounce back from USC. It's like automatically, ooh, they were really bad turnovers last week. They'll come home, conference opponent, especially one that beat them twice last year, including in the Pac-12 championship game, revenge-minded. They'll just get right. Um... Let me give you a little word of advice for someone who doesn't have a great track record picking against Utah. Don't assume you can get right against Utah. There are some teams out there that you could look at as a get right game. No one gets right against Utah. You may beat them, but that is not a team you look at and say, oh, good, we'll get right against them. We'll we'll work on some stuff. We'll get some guys playing time. Dude, they may be up on you in the fourth quarter. And like I said the other day, USC. 85th run defense in the country. They're just going to find it this week. Like Utah just won't be able to run the ball. The turnovers for USC will just disappear this week against the best defense in the Pac 12. It'll just work out. I don't know exactly how people figure that. And so the line here is USC minus six and a half or seven, and they're at home. They're in the Coliseum. So home field's baked in there. Uh, This is an eight on the upset alert meter for me. I think Utah, even without Jesse at quarterback, has got a real shot at winning the game outright. There's one more game I wanted to talk to you about because it is a me versus the model special. You guys know I put out the JP poll on Tuesday. I don't agree with everything on that, on that poll. Um, TCU, for example, is 23rd. How? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, model. How are you putting you? I put, put, put TCU? TCU is, is rated and Duke is not? Like, what nonsense is that? So anyway, TCU goes to Kansas State this weekend. I really like Kansas State in this spot. But the model is screaming, take TCU. You're getting a glimpse of what Friday Night Lines is like. A lot of times it's just me bickering with the model and it's you suggesting games that I should look at. Well, if you were to ask me about TCU in Kansas State, I would look at the model. I would say, oh, well, TCU, if you get them plus six and a half, has a 61.6% cover probability according to the model. And then commentary ensues. And I say, models outside its mind. Uh, not only do I think that's wrong, I think Kansas State's the right side this week. And I, I don't know that the model's ever met Avery Johnson. And Avery Johnson had five rushing touchdowns last week. And I know Chris Kleiman, to his credit, trying to be loyal and true to Will Howard. He's, he's probably looking at playing both of them this week. Avery Johnson's going to end up being the option there, I think. And I think he's also the spark plug for that team to kind of go on a second-half run. So I I think they're going to win. I think they're going to cover. It's not a best bet for me, but the model says we should go elsewhere. The model says we should go the opposite direction, and I just think the model's wrong. It's got a good heart. It's got good intentions, but it's wrong. You are never wrong if you visit Academy Sports and Outdoors because they are, well, you're one-stop shop for happiness, but I also want to let you know, I don't think I've ever paper popped during the Academy ad read, but man, if you like money and you like college football, just pay attention for a second. You can enter for your chance to win a $10,000 Academy gift card. That is just four zeros, not five, as I said last show. A $10,000 Academy gift card plus SEC championship game tickets just by signing into the Academy app, which is free of charge. It's like subscribing to our YouTube channel. It's free. Um, In this case, you can just win a $10,000 gift card and SEC title game tickets too. The ultimate SEC football sweepstakes runs 10-8 through 11-18. No purchase necessary. Odds depend on entries received. Remember, kids and your parents, this ends November 18th. You can find complete rules at academy.com backslash official rules. Not available in California, Hawaii, Alaska, New York. I'll just have to make it up to you guys some other which way. So if you appreciate the show being free, those folks right there, Academy Sports and Outdoors makes it free to you. Check them out. They've got everything you need for this time of year and any time of year. Tents, baseball gloves, hockey sticks, I don't care, they've got it. And we appreciate them as always for being on board. A quick reminder, if you are watching on YouTube, if you're listening on podcast, thank you. That's what I want to remind you of. But also I want to say subscribe to the channel or subscribe to the podcast and like the video if you haven't already, because less than a quarter of you have liked the oh, there come some likes. Less than a quarter of you have liked the video. I left the game out the other night. And I think we should throw it in here. And I've got several more things to get to. So this is not where we just get into game previews. I got some sleeper contenders. I got really good questions. Uh, from a lot of you today on Twitter. Some of them that I can't fit in the show, I may just go answer randomly later. we got some really good stuff. I'm going to put some lip balm on, which I'm told is the proper way to say ChapStick. Ah, that's good. Uh, So, I think I have a game figured out here. In fact, we're about to add a best bet. In this game, we will have a best bet. You know, South Carolina plays Missouri this weekend. And I, I'm facing a classic conundrum, as Memaw would call it, because on one hand, it's October, and you rarely want to go against South Carolina in October. but the problem is it may be October because they got beat by Florida last week, so maybe the script has been flipped a little bit. South Carolina kind of seems lost at the moment, and that's a problem because Missouri just beat down Kentucky. Now, a casual walks in the room and says, oh, that's free money then if they play each other this week, in Missouri's building, mind you, it's got to be free money. That's the problem. It seems that way. Missouri minus seven seems that way. And I, I don't know, kids. I'm not so sure. But then I dive into the game and everything that is in front of me is screaming, lay the points with Missouri. Listen to this. Missouri, 16th in pass yards per game this year offensively. South Carolina is 133rd defensively, in pass yards per game. I checked. You can't get any worse. We only got 133 teams doing this thing at the FBS level. So they couldn't be worse if they tried, statistically. There's an added concern, if that's not already bad enough. Brady Cook was only average last week. That's the Missouri quarterback. He was only average. Um, It gets even worse than that. South Carolina, the last three wide receiver ones they faced. These were the stat lines. Seven catches for 256. Nine catches for 104, 10 catches for 166. Luther Burden, the number one receiver from Missouri, maybe better than all of them, he's gone over 105 of his last six games, but last game he didn't. Last game, two catches for 15 yards. So I got a team that's rolling, coming home off a beatdown of Kentucky, and the quarterback and best receiver didn't even necessarily go off last week, and they're facing the 130 third rated pass defense in the game this saturday. What's the path for South Carolina? I want to know. What's the path? It can't be this simple, right? Well, Spencer Rattler's the path, the quarterback's the path. Missouri's got the 73rd rated pass defense in the country, so he could find a ton of success. Jaden Daniels did. LSU came up there last week or a couple weeks ago, 259 through the air, three passing touchdowns. So it's there to be had. However, in all caps, however, road rattler has been kind of sketchy. Spencer Rattler on the road, his completion percentage drops 26% when he's on the road versus at home. He has 113 fewer pass yards per game on the road versus at home. His home stat line, 10 touchdowns, one interception. His road stat line, one touchdown, three interceptions. So, Just because something has been a certain way doesn't mean it will be. I know the rule. We we state it on the show all the time. So is Road Rattler all of a sudden going to shine this Saturday? Missouri's defense, 103rd in explosive plays allowed. Yeah, the plays are there to be had. Uh, Xavier Leggett for South Carolina, 10 receptions of 30 yards or more, six receptions of 40 yards or more. Both of those are tied for number one in FBS. So, there are some indicators for South Carolina, many more indicators for Missouri. But my point is, did you notice that everything I just read screams offense, offense, offense? There's a best bet here, but it's not on the side. Like, I'm going to lean Missouri to win. Let's take a look at the model, by the way, Colin. I'm going to lean Missouri to win. And I'll even lean Missouri minus the points. But I don't care about that because the Pate State model just has Missouri winning by eight. So we think the number is pretty right. I don't think the totals right. The total is at 60 and a half right now. And so we are taking Missouri, South Carolina over 60 and a half. And that is a Ramen Noodle Express best bet. I'm not even making you wait until the end of the show. We are adding that one right now. And I will repeat it at the end of the show. So Missouri to win, Missouri to cover. Eh, we'll see. But that over. And remember the, the one other total bet that we hit with Missouri was a couple of weeks ago. The LSU line was way off. We think this line's way off as well. Don't be betting irresponsible amounts of money on that just cause I sound confident. Same unit size as always, no immunity, be professional, and be disciplined while you're at it. Hold on a second. All right, I got, Colin is telling me, all right, Colin is telling me we have some correspondence. We got, we got a video from Kubelik, that's what you're telling? Okay, uh, we'll roll whatever you have. Go ahead, Colin. Hello, paid state, alum, current students, employees, people. Friends of the program, boosters, everyone, NIL, people, whatever, producers. Uh, I'm at Birmingham Shubblesworth International Airport. This is the seventh airport that I've been in in the last 11 days, and Josh asked me to send this to you all as an apology for not having been on the show the last two weeks as I just returned from El Paso. I'd like to take this time to apologize to absolutely no one for Josh not being able to figure out how to get me into the schedule and get me on the show today. And after hearing about the gross sum that other guests are getting on other shows, we have a lot to reconsider. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. Thank you and God bless. Okay, whom does Kubelik think he is all of a sudden? The caucasity to send that video in. And by the way, how humble, how selfless of us to play that on our airwaves. You, you give a guy one show on SEC Network, and all of a sudden, The head is barely big enough to even fit on the screen. This is on Roman Harper as much as anyone. Roman Harper sits across from him every Monday night. No one else can do anything about Cole Kublick at this point. Harper's got to reel him in a little bit. And this is also on Pat McAfee a little bit. You pay Aaron Rodgers a few million dollars here or there to appear on your show, and now you've got Cole Kublicks of the world demanding um, similar treatment. My friendship I always thought was payment enough for Kublick to come on the show, but I guess not. We'll see how next week goes. I don't know. Uh, balls are in his court apparently I don't know stay tuned you know there are a lot of contenders out there a lot of contending teams that you don't even know are contenders I'm about to blow your mind some of you are hardcore college football fans and I'm about to blow your mind on this stuff think about the teams that you are you're having on your radar right now and then think about the teams you've written off okay Colin here's your end point for the video We got some sleeper contenders entering week eight, and some of them I don't think you're even aware of. Take the Big 12, for example. So Oklahoma is the only undefeated team in the Big 12. But what's the assumption? The assumption is, all right, Texas has got one loss to Oklahoma, so they're a one-loss Big 12 team. They'll make it back to Dallas, and we'll see them play for a conference championship, OU Texas round two, the end. Texas is one of five one-loss teams in the Big 12. Do you realize what's happening out there right now? Do you realize Kansas State's got two losses? Only one of them is a conference loss. Now, they've still got to play Texas. Uh, They've got Avery Johnson heating up, maybe ready to redefine their season. That team, that Kansas State team, has got real scalable potential, I think, because of what's happening at the quarterback position. Oklahoma State, guys, has one conference loss. Do you realize Oklahoma State is still in this thing? They've got OU coming in there in a few weeks. Now, you may say, oh, that sucks for them. No, it doesn't. That's how they define their season. Like, that's how they make their season. They play, aside from Oklahoma, four of the bottom five teams in the Big 12. And they're at West Virginia this week. Speaking of West Virginia, guess how many conference losses they have? Uno. They got one conference loss. And they also face four of the five bottom teams in the Big 12. And they also play Oklahoma before the season's over. And we, we only have one conference loss. Whomst am I talking about? Iowa State. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Iowa State's four and three. True enough. One of the losses is at Ohio, but we don't play in the MAC. One of the losses is to Iowa, but we don't play in the Big Ten. And good for us for hanging 13 on them. Hardly anyone else has. Uh, Iowa State has already beaten Oklahoma State. They've lost Oklahoma, got Oklahoma out of the way. The offense is, I'm going to say, improving to rapidly improving. And they got Texas at home, second to last week of the regular season before they go to Kansas State. So our destiny, as far as I could tell, is still in our hands. There are four teams aside from Texas in the Big 12 that are still very much alive. And no one's talking about them. And maybe we've been guilty a little bit of that on this show, but uh, no more, because that's what this Thursday has been dedicated to. In the SEC, LSU is the most glaring example to me of a team that's been written off. And you don't need to be writing them off yet. The model hadn't written them off. JP polls got them top 15. You can scoff at that all you want to, but they, um, they're not done yet. They've got one conference loss. They kind of control their own destiny. Not completely sure how the tiebreaker thing works if they, if they beat Bama and then Bama's a one loss and LSU's a one loss. I don't know how all that works. But I will say this. Um, they played their best defensive game of the season last week. And they've got Army and then a bye. And then they round it out with Bama, Florida, and Texas A&M, three of the final four games. It's all there. It's still all there for LSU. Missouri and Florida are also right there. Missouri is a one-loss team. Missouri has Georgia right after Georgia plays Florida. Missouri is off the week that Georgia plays Florida. So it couldn't be teed up any better. And there was a program out there. I cannot remember which one it was. Jesse, help me here. There was a a college football show. They do a year-round thing. They don't do the offseason. And there was some dude, dresses... Kind of, kind of homeless. And he said Missouri was the sleeper team in the SEC this year and nas- nationally too. I think that's what he said. We'll have stats and info and research get on that. Yeah, I know. He, I, I seem to recall he took a lot of flack for it. Whole lot of flack. Anyway, uh, I digress. Missouri, very much alive. Florida is too. The difference is Florida has a ridiculous remaining schedule. Florida's got one conference loss, but they have. Well, it's on the screen right here. Why don't I just look at that? They got Georgia coming up next weekend. Then they got Arkansas at home. And the reason I spotlight the Arkansas game is because it's sandwiched between Georgia and LSU. And they go to LSU and two Missouri back-to-back before finishing with Florida State. That is gross. Ugh. So technically, yeah, they are still alive. I don't know exactly how much damage they can do the rest of the way. Here's a good pop quiz for you. Paper pop quiz. Trademark that term, please. Paper pop quiz. I want you to do me a favor and name the undefeated teams in the ACC. Jeopardy music. Five, four, three, two, one. Did you get Florida State? Good. Did you get North Carolina? Eh, Most of you did. Good. How many of you got Duke? How many of you realize Duke is still undefeated? They play FSU this Saturday. Undefeated in conference play, mind you. They play. At FSU this Saturday, two of the three remaining undefeateds are playing this Saturday. Uh, Louisville and North Carolina are also on the future schedule for Duke. Riley Leonard looks like he's about to return. Can they afford another loss even, maybe, and still make the conference championship game? I don't know. But again, Mike Elko, one of the great stats out there right now is he is uh, one and a half seasons in at Duke and still has not lost a game by more than one possession. At Duke. Uh, last but not least. Virginia Tech is still in this thing too. That one's out of left field. Virginia Tech's three and four. How is this possible? Well, uh, one of the losses was to Purdue. One of them was at Rutgers, and one of them was at Marshall, and none of those are conference games. Their one conference loss is at Florida State. They, they drubbed Wake last week, much to the chagrin of the Ramen Noodle Express. They beat Pitt a couple of weeks ago. Now they're on a bye week and they've got Qes. They got Louisville, Boston College, NC State and Virginia. Where's the sure loss? There isn't one there. And while I'm at it, Duke or uh, Oregon State, the Duke of the West if you will. Oregon State still only got one conference loss out in the Pac-12. They're 6 and 1. They lost to Washington State. That's why a lot of folks wrote them off, but they still have the big boys. They still play Washington. They still play Oregon. So all of these teams that people are circling, Georgia, um Oklahoma, Florida State, rightfully so. Let's not overlook the fact that there are a ton of one-loss teams right now that have been written off that should not be written off yet. There is so much football left to be played. This is week eight. We're not even close to November yet. And November is famously the longest month of the year. It's like 37 weeks long. So I'm excited to watch this because some dominoes are about to start falling. And some of the big dominoes, if and when they fall will bring some of the second-tier dominoes back into the picture. And my whole point will be they never should have been out of the picture. Let's continue. We got a good pace on tonight's show, which is good, because otherwise I would fall asleep. Because, I mean, the, the, the fine folks at Delta did as much as they could this morning, but I, I couldn't really sleep on the way home. I will take a sip from the chalice, as Colin puts up a question from someone who hails from Montgomery, Alabama. We have some staff from Montgomery. Uh, Clint. Clint hit us up. With I think one of the best questions that's been asked from me this entire year. He said, We know you choose power ratings over rankings, but if you were to do rankings, what would your metric be? Thank you, Clint. Literally the first person who's asked me this. When I put out the JP poll on Tuesday, everyone wants to argue about it, and some people just don't understand what it is. And then there are other people who do understand what it is, but they say, Well, why would you do it this way? Why don't you just rank teams? Well, if if Texas loses to Oklahoma, but Texas is still above Oklahoma. What good does this do me? Number one, don't look at it. I'm not forcing you to. Number two, there is a purpose behind doing that. It's just future facing instead of living strictly in the rearview mirror. It's not merit based. Well, Clint's asking, okay, if you did rankings, what would you base them on? Or put another way, if I were a playoff committee member, how would I put teams in the order I put them in? I would combine merit or results on the field. And properly calibrated strength of schedule. That's what I would do. So, you're you're talking to someone here that has Florida State around 10 or 11 right now in his power rating. Florida State would be a top five team for me. You're talking to someone in his power rating that has Texas above OU. There is not a world when I rank teams where Oklahoma is not ahead of Texas. Of course, they'd be ahead of Texas. The reason is because the outcome on the field is what matters the most. That's what competition is, that's what sports are. That's always been my stance. It's just that anyone who thinks otherwise, when I put out that power rating on Tuesday, doesn't understand what I'm doing. Uh, Washington would be ahead of Oregon if I were ranking teams. I am not an AP voter, don't have much interest in being one. But if I did, I can safely assure you it would look a whole lot different than that power rating on Tuesday. So the other thing to keep in mind when I talk about strength of schedule is I am not a strength of schedule guy that goes on your wins and losses. So when I say properly calibrated strength of schedule, this is where I've always advocated maybe for Las Vegas to have a role in the playoff selection process, but not in the way that some people suggest. See, when I say that, like I was on a show one time, and I said, I think Vegas should have a role in selecting the playoff field. And some guy thought I meant your record against the spread should be what you know warrants your inclusion, which of course is crazy. But there are some other people who think a Vegas power rating, kind of like the JP poll, like we do on Tuesday, they think those should be the ratings. This is where Nick Saban was dead wrong at the end of last season. He started doing the whole well, if Vegas says no more than two or three teams would be favored over us, why aren't we in the top four? You're not in the top four because you lost games, so it doesn't matter what a power rating says in a merit-based system. And I am I'm all for that. The one thing I think I would change is the way you define strength of schedule. And for that, I would bring Vegas in. For that, I would bring someone in who understands there are some five and three teams out there that would probably be favored over an undefeated team on a neutral field. Now, that doesn't matter except to properly define your strength of schedule if you played that five and three team. You shouldn't automatically be getting a boost because you play a garbage 6-0 and team and you beat them and they're overly inflated and all of a sudden you're getting credit for beating a top 10 team. Well, they were never a top 10 team. It's just that you are what your record says you are crowd thinks they're a top 10 team. I want folks who understand how good teams really are and how to properly power rate them to define strength of schedule, not ratings, not, not conflating ratings with rankings. I, I just want you to be able to properly define how tough my schedule has been and not not be sitting here having these stupid conversations at the end of the year that sound like this. Well, we thought that win in week three was good, but now in retrospect, it's not nearly as good. No, any system worth its salt understands how to properly assignate value of wins and losses pretty much when they happen with only minor fluctuations uh, hereafter. There are some times where it's obvious your power rating on a team was just wrong early in the season. Sometimes you were too high. Sometimes you were too low, so you go back and retroactively increase or decrease the value of a win or loss. But by and large, you should not have wild fluctuations. I beat a team that was 4-0 and in Week 4. They go on to lose games after I beat them. I'm going to deduct points from your win there. Well, how do you know that me playing them didn't have a detrimental impact the rest of the year, and that's why they lost those games? You can't know that. Smart people can, though. So... Sorry to go on that diatribe, but that's, that's the only place that I would include Vegas. Otherwise, power ratings have no business in determining a playoff field. I know that, and I do power ratings every week. Ranking teams should be about a blend of merit, which means valuing the outcome on the field, especially if you've played each other, and blending that with properly defined strength of schedule. Next up, this is what the Late Kick Extra podcast sounds like when we do it in the offseason. It's kind of... Blending that concept right into the show tonight. Uh, I think we had a couple of questions. I told Colin, just put it on the same slider here. So Mark hit me up and said, during the Once Upon a Saturday tour travels, what is a typical schedule from airport to hotel, stadium, airport, or do you get to see parts of campus, the towns, the restaurants, et cetera? And then another question from Jacob in State College said, can you remind us why you like noon kickoffs? Because every part of me wants a top seven matchup not to be at noon. Let me answer the second question first. I was you, Jacob. I hated early kickoffs. I only wanted primetime kickoffs. Then I started going to games every week, and I realized if we're going to do a show on Sunday that claims to react to all of college football the day before, it really helps not to have to be flying home on Sunday morning. So this Saturday, we got a game in Columbus, Ohio that kicks off at noon. I'm supposed to be back in Nashville by 7 o'clock that night. If everything goes according to plan, of course. Knock on desk. Uh, you know how much that helps for prep the next day. You know how much it helps to sleep in your own bed the same night that you were at a game a few hours earlier. So that's the long and short of it for me. If I was a fan, like like if I were just going to games like I did back in the day, like you guys are, oh, I love the primetime game because I don't have anything to do professionally the next day. I just got to be at church on time the next morning. That's all I got to do, and you don't even have to have slept to get to church on time. I have tested that theory, and trust me, you don't have to have slept. But man, you, you better have enough time carved out to get your show ready the next night. Now, as for the schedule, boy, it fluctuates wildly. Like this week, I've got, I've got a guest joining me. Oh, why not? Cannell's coming with me to the game this weekend. Daniel Cannell, some of you may know him on the street as Danny, is going to be up there at the game. So we've, we've been on a heater, and we've seen five games come down to essentially the final play or final possession And if we see 38 to 13 this weekend, I swear to you, I will place 100% of the blame on the shoulders of Daniel Connell, who has no problem shouldering blame, by the way. He's done it his whole life. And so I I think he's already up there. I am flying to Columbus tomorrow. So this will be a quick 24-hour turnaround. Uh, we, We have a full day of work. I like to work on Friday, get to the gym, gym to airport, airport to city, get checked into a hotel, do Friday night lines, hopefully get out and get something to eat that's hit or miss. Hopefully get over to the building and see either staffs of the home team's coaching staff or go to the visiting team's hotel. Sometimes I do both and that's week to week as well. Saturday, we're usually at the building four hours before kickoff. We do hits on CBS Sports HQ and then it is it's really just counting down to kickoff. Walk around the building, you know, meet up with people. A lot of times I'll go back out into tailgates because uh, like a dozen of you have hit me up that week and invited me to tailgates. And if I'm at the Texas State Fair, I'll just go play flip a chick, as you see on the screen right now, and I'll win a little foam chicken head. You know, you're not afforded that opportunity every week, but hoops amongst us hasn't flipped a rubber chicken in a rotating pot with a sledgehammer and won a foam chicken head when presented with the opportunity. Like, sue me, okay? And then you down some funnel cake at the end. Yeah, that's at a neutral site. but. In the home building, I just go tailgate. Like this Saturday, I'll end up out in the parking lot of Ohio Stadium. Probably over there near the Tuttle Garage, if you guys know the area. And, or maybe in East Lot, maybe. Got friends in both areas. And there is so oh, the food at tailgates, especially the closer to the stadium. Because, look, those are the folks who can afford those corporate lots. And while I am not a huge proponent of the corporatization of the tailgating scene, there is one fact, and that is if you're being invited to one of those corporate area tailgates, the food is incredible. I'm not saying the food is not incredible half a mile from the stadium, but I can't get that far away because I have duties to um, attend to. So we'll, we'll get out of there. Game ends. I'll go to a post-game press conference. We will then immediately do live rapid reaction on the field with our folks in Fort Lauderdale or Stanford, Connecticut on CBS Sports HQ. We'll also send some things to New York for inside college football. Then we would get right out of there. Hopefully car service, usually just Uber to the airport, fly home, and then get ready to do the show the next night. There is very little sleep. Uh, hopefully a gym visit, but, but usually not. Usually Saturday's just a rest day, if you will. And that's the schedule. Now, if it's not clear by listening to that why I prefer noon kickoffs, I don't know what else to tell you. Let's keep it moving. Nice leisurely pace. Nice nice brisk but leisurely pace here. We have a question that would be an utter doomsday scenario for, well, a lot of people I grew up with. Uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. They're hitting us up from Edmond. They said, could you see a scenario where the SEC misses the playoff? Could you see a scenario where OU and Texas get in? Yeah, I could see the second one because, yeah, I could see the first one. Do you, do you hear the gnashing of teeth? at Just the suggestion of that. The SEC can't be out of the playoff. That's like, that's like Mr. Astor on the Titanic. This ship can't sink. The SEC can't miss the playoff. Oh, she's made of iron, sir. I assure you she can. Well, in this case, here's the scenario. Here's how it would happen. The way I figure it, we're likely to have either a one loss or undefeated team from the ACC, from the Big 12, from the Big 10, from the Pac-12. That is likely at this point. So how do we keep the SEC, excuse me, how do you guys keep the SEC out of this thing? Because I am a notorious SEC homer. If you don't believe me, read the comment section or check out the live chat. Here's the most plausible scenario as producer Jesse and I could see it earlier today. You need a two loss SEC champion and then just hope that there are better candidates in front of them. So if Georgia just wins out, this is a moot point they'll be in. But let's say Bama loses to Tennessee or LSU. And at that point, you're, just, you're getting a two-loss team from the West no matter what, if it's Bama, if it's LSU, whoever it is. But then they go to Atlanta, and they win there. Is the committee taking a two-loss Alabama as the SEC champ? Are they taking two-loss LSU as the SEC champ? Are they taking one-loss non-SEC champion Georgia that had a weaker schedule this year? Maybe. It heavily depends on the rest of the field. But the difference is this year, you may have enough viable undefeated or one-loss teams there that you look at it, and if you peel, you get your thumbnail under there, you peel a little SEC sticker off the resume and just look at the resume, it's not good enough. It's like fifth or sixth best. And then you know what happens, of course. Then you have people whining, saying, why couldn't we have the 12-team playoff one year earlier? And you know my thoughts on that. But I did have someone brave enough to ask me, do you think that this would be the perfect year for the 12-team playoff? No, I think it's the perfect year for the 14-team playoff because the playoffs started. Like, do you realize, does anyone realize what Ohio State and Penn State's going to be like this Saturday? Do you have any idea we have an elimination game in Tuscaloosa this Saturday? I wish I could have had you up in Seattle last week on the field to witness Oregon versus Washington. There is no world where those places and those games feel that consequential, if you know it's just it's just for seeding. You know, we've got a safety net down here, so if we fall, we fall. We'll get right back up. Somebody's falling this weekend, and they're not getting back up. It's not a life alert commercial. You don't just press a button and get help. You don't just have the 12-team playoff there. It's, it's, it's help, I've fallen, and I can't get up, and sorry. Only got room for four of you here Stay there and, and, and just think about this and we'll, we'll pull you up for next season. Um, this is not worth debating. We're going to a 12-team format next year. I know that. Whether I like it or not, I know that. But in the meantime, let me enjoy the last remaining October and November where the playoff actually starts in October and stretches into November, even if people don't realize it for what it is right in front of them. Let's do Ramen Noodle Express best bets and let's get out of here. Uh, <clears throat> I have... <laughs> I had the unfortunate task last night. I've never experienced this before. We had Sam Houston State on the Ramen Noodle Express, and it may not have been the most professional look in the world, but I was up in New York doing halftime and post-game coverage in studio, and we had the game on CBS Sports Network. We had the game. So I'm watching it. They're on the desk, and we're waiting to go live post-game. And Sam Houston uh, had opportunities, but did not win in cover. So we have already toted a loss on the Ramen Noodle Express, and this pains me, but I'm going to draw the X on the piece of paper. As Mimal would say, minor setback for a major comeback. And Mimal knew her way around a Ramen Noodle Express packet, I can assure you. Wake Forest, here are our best bets. If you're new to the show, these are our best bets. Wake Forest, right at a pick. We got Wisconsin minus two and a half and Miami plus four. Those are the games we were already on. We just added another best bet about 20 minutes ago, and it is South Carolina, Missouri, over 59 and a half. It's widely available out there at 59 and a half. So and listen, there's one shop out there that has something better than 59 and a half. I just don't like to do business with that shop, and so I'm not handing it out. But 59 and a half is a really good number. We think it's going to be well into the mid to upper 60s. So uh, Wake. Wisconsin, Miami, South Carolina, Missouri, over. Remember, and tell your family and tell your friends and tell your neighbors, make sure you're following on Instagram, at Josh. because when we get to Columbus, Ohio tomorrow night, I'll get checked into a hotel, and we will go live on Instagram, and Friday Night Lines is where you want to be. We are going to add several games. We'll probably add between four and six more games tomorrow night. So the Ramanul Express is only five teams deep right now. We'll probably hit double digits. You've got to be tuned in tomorrow night. I give you a heads up about an hour before we go live, so it doesn't sneak up on you. At late Kick Josh, make sure you're there. All right, I'm going to go sleep for about 12 hours now. Appreciate you guys hanging in there. For Producer Jesse, Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your weekend. Enjoy the games, and God bless.